Father, we are again grateful to be here. God, we're thankful for the words to all these songs that we've sang. To know that you've you've paid our ransom, you've you've bought us with a high price. But God, also to know that you're a you're a God who can bring down the walls in our life and just seem impossible to bring down. Lord, you can remove the fear from us. You can strengthen us and hold us up and guide us through all the things of life has to throw at us. God, I pray that you would speak and work and move in our hearts this morning. Lord, as we gather, we lift up our brothers and sisters who aren't here. And God, we pray especially for Mr. Roger this morning. We just want to say thank you for guiding him and being with him throughout this week through his time in the hospital and Lord you continue to touch his body and help him in the coming days God that you'd be with Pastor Dan and Miss Pat Miss Helen and Lord I know I'm forgetting others Lord Ted and Inga but God we just ask that you would touch these people that you'd be with them Lord, we are a people who are in great need of you. Lord, we need you to do physical things, but more importantly, we need you to do spiritual things among us. And guys, we come together today, we pray that you can take a passage of scripture that we may be very familiar with, and it could be one of those passages that maybe we just never paid it a whole lot of attention, but whatever it may be. I pray, God, that you would use it to speak to us in a new way. Help us to grow with you. Lord, help us to be willing to surrender. We love you. We thank you. And we ask all of this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. It is great to see you today. I just got back from our men's retreat at Table Rock. We still have about 15 guys up there who are hanging out and having a really good time. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, It may surprise you to find out I got shot with arrows this week. Um, Thankfully, they were not real arrows, but they have foam tips on them. And uh, we got to play archery tag, which was really interesting to watch all of us run around and play archery tag. It was a quick reminder of how old and out of shape I am. But we had a blast, and I just want to say thank you to Ronnie and Eli for planning that, getting that together, make sure you tell them thank you. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of times it's, it's the little things like that that just help out with the ministry of the church and, and, and help build that camaraderie uh, among people. And so very thankful for them for planning that and getting this weekend together. Um, so as we start our new series today, uh, we're going to be going through the month of November and we're talking about the story of Jericho. Now, If you turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, we're going to be in chapter 2. That's where we're starting at today. But the story of Jericho's, it's a really interesting passage of Scripture. And I I think I say that every week when I talk about it. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those passages that we just kind of chalk that up to one of those stories that we just kind of funnel down to children's church and like they're going to learn about the walls of Jericho and they're going to have these little lessons and they're all going to march around. They're going to pretend, blow their trumpets and they're going to knock something down that they've set up to symbolize the walls come tumbling down. And it's not necessarily a passage of scripture that we look at 
as adults and really read and study and, and really try to find something to apply to our life. But it's a great passage of Scripture because there's a lot of stuff just kind of hidden in it that we can use, that we can grab from and, and apply to our life and learn and kind of draw from characteristics of who God is and things that He wants to accomplish. And today's sermon, as we start in uh, Joshua 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11. We're talking about the behind the scenes. You know, we we forget a lot of times that we serve a God who is not only present everywhere, but he's also present in everything. That that there is a lot of things behind the scenes that God is doing. And today, as we're talking about behind the scenes, we're focusing on really the people behind the scenes. And and that's important to remember, too, that as God is doing great and amazing things among us as people in our world, in our lives, in our culture that he's doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes and that he's using a lot of people behind the scenes to accomplish what he's wanting to do. So read with me Joshua 2 verses 1 through 11 and uh, then we'll go through our points and talk a little bit. So, then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them to scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. That should already get our attention. Pretty interesting. Verse 2. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know who they were or where they were from. So they left the town at dusk, and as the gates were about to close, I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them beneath some bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens and the earth above and the earth below. So point number one is what I want us to see this morning is is that God had set the tone. And I think it's very important to realize and understand that as life is happening around us, there's very much a tone, there's a feeling, there's this kind of ambience of of stuff that's going on, and there's this, uh, this feeling that people has. And as the people of Israel are getting ready to cross the Jordan River and go and capture the city of Jericho... Um, there's a tone that's been set, and the tone was fear. 
God had instilled this amazing amount of fear in the people of Jericho. And fear is a really, uh, it's a tricky thing. And if if you've been coming on Wednesday nights to our Bible study, you know, we're talking about the book of Proverbs, and there's this this theme that reoccurs that Solomon keeps uh, communicating is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as people, we have to understand that God has created us with the capacity and ability to have fear. And so a lot of times fear can be a good thing. So for example, if uh, a kid sees a bear out in the woods, they should be afraid of a bear, right? Like, they shouldn't be like, ooh, a bear. And then, like, you go and try to touch it or hug it or mess with it. Like, you don't mess with the bear. You run away from the bear. You're afraid. That's good. That's good instinct. That's good fear. All right? You should be afraid to run across the interstate without looking for a good reason. All right? So, So God has created us with the ability to feel fear. For uh, you know, to to preserve your own health and and well being, but also like we are called to fear the Lord. There there is a healthy fear that we should have of God, and that helps us in our understanding of Him, our willingness to surrender and to serve Him. But we also have to understand that Satan can bring about a spirit of fear in our life that's very negative and, and can hinder us from doing a lot of things that God has called us to. And you, you, can, you know this. And so if you're young in here this morning, uh, I share this. We had some, some younger kids in, early, in the early service. You know, as kids, we always think, man, I can't wait till I'm an adult till I won't be afraid anymore. Like, I won't be afraid of the dark. You won't be afraid to go in a room when the light's off. You won't be afraid to go outside when it's dark. Maybe you won't be afraid of this or be afraid of that. You know, it's just like, it's amazing. Like you watch your parents, they don't seem like they're afraid of anything, but it's absolutely the opposite, right? Like the older you get, you may not be afraid of the dark anymore, but then there's all kinds of other fears that set in as adults. And as adults, the fear we experience is much more significant because fear hinders us from doing a lot of things, especially good, necessary things. If you think about things in life, choices you have to make, actions that you have to take as an adult, a lot of times the right choices, the right decisions are always the hardest and we are afraid to do those things. The older we get, the more comfortable we get, the more we're afraid of change, the more we're afraid to go do something new, be around new people, try to go work a new job. All these fears take place in our life. We have to be careful and be aware of where that fear is coming from. But in this instance, it's really important to understand that God has placed this tremendous fear, terror. It says their hearts were melting at the thought of what God had done. And now think about this too, because it's not just about what Israel or what God had done with Israel recently, because they had overcome the king, two kings of the Amorites here recently, but they were still talking about what happened 40 years ago. You know, by this time, when these two spies walk into Jericho and they're scouting it out, and Rahab's having this conversation with them on the roof, they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years has passed since God led them through the dry sea to come up out, and then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Everything that God had did with them in Egypt 40 years ago, and the people of Jericho were still melting in fear at what God had done, but yet what God was still doing. And so there was this sense of fear that God had put in their hearts. And there's an understanding, like we know, like, you know, there's times in your life where you know 
that you're, you're kind of suffering or you're, you're paying for something that you've done. You can just feel it. And God puts that in our hearts. And God was instilling this sense of fear. He was setting the tone because judgment was coming on the people of Jericho. You know, it's really funny when you, when you read this passage. A lot of people say, well, I don't understand how God can let evil happen. I don't understand why God would allow this to happen. And yet when they begin to read stories in the Old Testament, whenever it comes time where God says, okay, the generations, the hundreds of years of sin and idolatry and child sacrifice and murder and wickedness that has piled up in these civilizations, now when God brings judgment on them and he goes in and he totally annihilates them, then people get mad about that. Well, that just seems very mean. Why would God do that? Well, he's, you can't have it both ways. You understand what I'm saying? It's like we want God to punish evil, but whenever he does, a lot of people have a really hard time understanding that. And when you look at this story, God is, is, is instilling this fear. He's bringing judgment upon these people, and Rahab is communicating to these two spies about how they very much feel that. They feel that God is real, that, that what God has done is powerful, and they know that they're, they, they can just feel it coming. And God has set the tone. And when you look at what Rahab said, and this is really important, you look at verse 11, and you look at the second half of that where she says, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. That's an amazing statement. Because only the fear of God could lead her to say something like that. To live with a people, and think about it, it's not like Rahab's this upstanding woman. You remember what she is? She's a prostitute. She has very much participated in the immorality and the wickedness of the people of Jericho. But yet, in this moment, the fear of the Lord has led her to understand who the supreme God is and what's coming their way. And she sees it. She understands it. And this is why she's willing to, uh, to hide these spies in this moment. And when you look at the city of Jericho in this story... As God is setting the tone, you also have to remember that a lot of people in this time thought that the city of Jericho was unable to be conquered. The walls were so big and so thick that they didn't think anybody would ever be able to penetrate. And Jericho placed a lot of faith in their man-made walls. And archaeologists have, have discovered the city of what they believe to be Jericho. And whenever they, they look at the remains, they look at the structures of the walls of what's left, because most of it's just rubble, they say that the walls were at least six feet thick, if not thicker. And some people have said that, that you know, in, in the past, you could drive a carriage around the top of them, and that's kind of debatable. No one really knows. There's no evidence or written record of that actually taking place. But they were just talking about how thick the walls were. In a time before gunpowder and cannons, it was thought to be, you couldn't do it. And yet archaeologists who studied the site will say that when you look at the walls, it's amazing because the walls have collapsed uh, outward instead of inward. Which is also a really amazing thing. Because you think if someone's going to come and lay siege and they're going to knock down the walls, they would knock them down from the outside going in. But yet at this site, they say the walls have fell outward rather than inward. It's a really amazing thing. 
And, and for something that, that was perceived to be impossible, God is setting the tone in all of this because he's setting the tone and he's bringing about this, this fear in these people's lives, but he's also setting the tone of what's going to happen not only in the coming days of this battle, but in the coming years and centuries, even into the future of eternity, that where people think that things are impossible with God, all things are possible. And we forget about that a lot of times. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 26, he looked at his disciples intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is impossible. Everything is possible. As believers in Christ, we have to remind ourselves so many times whenever we read stories like this of what God has done and what God can still do. We live in a culture in a day and time where we love to focus on the practical, the able, what's, what's perceivable, what can actually happen in this moment, but yet we claim to serve a God that we say, through him, anything is possible. And when you read stories like this, we have to be reminded and we have to remind ourselves, this situation may look impossible, these circumstances may seem impossible, <laughs> it may not seem like it can actually happen, but the God that I serve with him anything's possible. And it's not a matter of whether or not God is able. It's not like God just doesn't do things like that anymore. I think we are living in a day and time where we as people, we just lack the faith to see God, to turn him loose and allow him to do the things that he's done in the past because he's still more than able. But the question is whether or not we believe, whether or not we trust whether or not we're willing to rely on him. And God is setting the tone. What's coming in, in, in the scripture that we're going to be reading over the next several weeks is not something that man can do. But he's setting the tone of what's possible if you serve God, if you rely on him, and if you let him do what he's always said that he was going to do. That's the tone that's being set. <clears throat> and you look at our world today, I think it's pretty fair to say that it really does seem like God is setting the tone for something great to happen. It's like you watch what's going on around the world. You watch the world news. You watch local news. You watch everything that's going on in our society. Everything that's happening, you can, you, you can feel it. Can you feel it? I mean, like you, you, just like you watch what's going on, and you're just like, whatever's about to happen is going to be either really bad or really amazing. Like either we're going to the end or God is going to bring about some kind of revival and like there's something great that's going to happen. Like the tone is being set in our culture and, and the realization of that as believers is we need to be acutely aware of what God is doing because there's stuff going on behind the scenes that maybe you and I can't see, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening. And there's people working and moving behind the scenes. And you may not be able to see it, but it doesn't mean they're not there. Which brings us to point number two. The least important people played the major roles. This is a great story. Because in this, you have these two spies who go into the city to scout it out and bring back the news that it's going to guide Israel to, to lead them across the Jordan River to come and conquer this city with the help of the Lord. You know the spies' names are never mentioned? We do not have any record of what their names were. 
If you look back at Numbers 40 years earlier, when Moses sent out the 12 spies to go scout out the promised land, their names were mentioned, all 12 of them, and what tribes they descended from, all the information was there. And if you remember that story, 11 out of the 12 came back with a bad report, and Caleb was the only one who said, we can do this, we should cross the Jordan, we should go conquer them, but the other 11 said, oh no, it's a great place, there's lots of food. There's lots of milk. There's lots of honey. The, the grapes I'm on the vines were just amazing. He's like, but there's giants. And they're enormous. And we're like locusts in their shadows. Like they're so big and they're so great. And we can't do this. We shouldn't go. We shouldn't do this. And the Lord punished them because they saw reality. They saw what was realistic. They saw what was practical. And instead of having faith in God of what God was able to do, <coughs> they attributed everything to what was possible from their own efforts, and they were unwilling to do it. And the, the, the people who caused Israel to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and all of them to die in the wilderness, because God made them wander until that entire generation passed before he would allow the younger generation to grow up and enter into the promised land. Their names were recorded. But these two men, unnamed, go into the city, scout it out, and bring back the report and said, look, we can do this. Because they weren't willing to see what was impossible. They were willing to see what God was doing. They didn't see the walls of Jericho. When you look at their report that they give Joshua, they don't say, the walls are too thick. We can't bring them down. We can't fight. You know what they reported? They're terrified of us. They are crippled by fear. God has set everything up for us to go in and do this. And the two men, who we don't even know their names, played huge parts of the story. You know, Joshua's name might be on the book, but the two men were the ones who went out and did the hard work, who risked their lives, who were hiding Worried as to whether or not they were going to be found. Worried as to whether or not a prostitute was going to betray them. And then came back and gave the good reports. And you might be sitting here this morning and think, <coughs> man, I'm nobody. I, nobody knows who I am. I'm basically invisible. I don't feel like I have any importance whatsoever. Do not buy into the lie of Satan to tell you that you're nobody or that you're unimportant. Because it's amazing how many times God uses the least of these to do his greatest works. You are the very ones, like the, the less talented, the less intelligent, the less capable you are, the more likely you are that God will use you because you will bring him the most glory. You got to remind yourself of that. And that everything that you do that no one else may see, it doesn't matter if no one else sees it. It's actually a blessing if nobody sees it. Jesus said, don't let your, right hand know what your, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. When you do good deeds, don't, don't shout it out for everybody to hear, but do it in secret so that your Father in heaven will see it and bless you for it. If, if you do it for everybody to see, then you lose your reward. And I, I can tell you as a pastor, somebody who, who serves and have to stand up here in front of people and people watch you all the time, that a lot of times 
the line gets blurred as to exactly why you do things. Because you, you love the Lord and you want to serve God. And then there's times where you're just like, am I doing this because I love Jesus? Or am I doing this because this is my job? Or am I doing this because people are expecting me to do this? And that becomes really difficult at times to sift through those things. But for someone who's just doing it and no one else knows about it, and you're doing it behind the scenes, no one ever sees, you'll never get credit for it. That is actually the best place to be because you do it because you love Jesus and there's no other reason why. It's the most purest form of Christianity that there is. And Jesus can use you to do some of the greatest things. And the world may not perceive it as being great, but it does not mean that Jesus doesn't think that it's great and won't bless you for it when you see him in eternity. Don't forget about the prostitute. I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen a prostitute that got a whole lot of recognition from the, uh, from the general community that we live in. But here you have this prostitute, and it's really funny because her name's mentioned. You know, she gets remembered, like we know her name. <clears throat> but you have this, this lady of the evening who uh, is willing... To, to kind of be vulnerable in this moment and, and say, like, hey, man, like, we're terrified. Like, she's going to talk to these people because she understands there's something inside of her where she sees, she understands it's been revealed to her that this is serious and this is coming. And we're all living in terror. Like, we're melting in fear. We know that something's about to happen. We can just, we can feel it. And we've heard about what God did in Egypt, and we, we heard about this. And you look at what she said. She, she made the statement. She said, you know, the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. What a profound statement for somebody who's living in... This is not like some, some grandmother of faith that we're talking about. We're talking about one of the most immoral people participating in the wickedness of this whole city that's about to be judged and destroyed by the Lord. And yet in this moment, she has understood that God is the supreme God. And you could take a theologian or a pastor or maybe somebody who's grown up in church their whole life, and you can kind of pick this statement apart. It's like, well, do you believe in other gods? So, so like, or do you trust in other gods? Do you only believe in God or do you trust in other gods too? Like, what do you exactly mean? Like, your God is the supreme God of all the other gods. And it's like, you could pick it apart. But the thing is, is that we have to be really careful as people who are serving God and realize when God is working and moving and what he's doing in people's hearts and lives. Because it's not the fact that she understands that exactly what she's supposed to say or that she does everything exactly the perfect way because the woman was not perfect. The woman was not moral. She wasn't righteous in any way, but she had something revealed to her by God. And if she was willing to acknowledge God as being supreme, that's significant. And in this moment, God uses somebody who's very, I don't know about y'all, but I think it'd be a pretty tough, uh, pretty tough sale to convince you to allow a prostitute to come in and join the church or to take on a leadership role or teach or something like that. It's not somebody that we would probably be willing to welcome in very quickly. But at the same time, God has done something in this woman's heart. He's revealed something to her that no one else in the city has understood. 
He's moved in her life and she's acknowledging that. She's, she's verbalizing that to these men. And in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3, it says that the Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. And when you look at this woman, I want you to think about her situation. Like she was hiding spies. Now, if you did that as an American, you know what your punishment would be? They'd put you to death for treason. You're a traitor. Now, now this could be viewed as, as like, like you could look at her and be like, oh, that's messed up, man. She traded on her people. That's messed up. It's like, no. Like you think about what's going on here. Like, like truth has been revealed to this woman. And as believers, you and I will be faced with a situation similar to this at some point in our life. There will be times in your life where you have to choose between the supreme God, your Father in heaven, your Savior, Jesus Christ, or choose your children, or choose your spouse, or choose your friends, or choose your colleagues, or your teammates, or whatever it may be. And there may be a time where what is right, because we talked about doing what's right is usually hard. Saying what's right is usually hard, and it can usually hurt people's feelings. They may not like what you have to say. And there may be a time in our life where we have to choose which one we're going to do. And everybody else, your friends, your family, somebody might view you as a traitor if you leave them behind and you go, no, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to do this. I'm going to honor him. I'm following him. And I can't be a part of this anymore. And they might call you a traitor. They may feel like you're leaving them behind and you're abandoning them. But you have to make a choice in your life as an individual of what God you are going to serve. And she made the choice in her life. It had been revealed to her in her heart what truth was. And it didn't matter what was going to happen to the people of Jericho because she understood in her life, if I stay with these people, we are going to be destroyed. And sometimes you need to understand that if you keep choosing your kid or if you keep choosing your spouse, if you keep choosing your friends or coworkers or colleagues, if you keep choosing them over the Lord and you keep doing that, eventually you or them or the relationship itself, whatever, is going to be destroyed. That you have to choose God and you have to move along with Him and you invite the other people to come along if they are willing, but if they're not, you cut ties and you go with what you know is right. And Rahab is remembered, her name is written down because she went with what was right. Not with what she was comfortable with. Not with her people. Not with the walls. She didn't trust in the walls upon which she was living in. She trusted in God. And I want to take you to Matthew chapter 1, verses 5-6. through six. If you know the story of Matthew, the whole first chapter is the genealogy of Christ. You may say, okay, well, why did the spies not get their names written down, but why do we have Rahab's name? Why was she the one remembered? And you go and you begin to read the genealogy of Christ, and you look at verses 5 through 6, and we, we skipped a whole bunch because it goes from the very beginning all the way to the point of Jesus. But it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. And you look at Rahab, and you look at this prostitute, and you might think, oh, she's, she's nobody. Like, she, she's a woman of the evening. Like, she's, she's an immoral woman, unimportant, completely like nobody that we would ever consider that God would do anything significant with. And because she was willing 
to act on what God had put in her heart and to acknowledge truth and go with the Lord rather than stay with what was, God used her to eventually bring about King David. It's like the great-great-grandmother of King David. And you're sitting here today and you think, man, (coughs) I'm already older. I don't feel like I've done anything super significant. It's like, what's significant? I mean, like, in reality, what's significant? You think about what Rahab did. She spared two spies, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But eventually, God used her to bring about the king of Israel that would bring about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You and I have salvation through Jesus Christ because Rahab was willing to act on her understanding of what God had placed in her heart and go with the Lord rather than stay with what was. Like she's part of the process of bringing about salvation to the world. And you're sitting here today and it's like, man, I, I don't know. I, I don't guess I'm ever going to do anything great. Even if God doesn't do anything great in your life, are you willing to submit and surrender to him? Are you willing to sacrifice him? Are you willing to serve him with faith and understanding, knowing like, okay, I may not do anything that's world changing. I may not do anything that's been written about in history books, but you know what? One day I might have a grandchild or a great grandchild or a great great grandchild that come from my lineage that because I was faithful and I served the Lord and I honored him and I taught my children how they should live and I taught my children scripture and I prayed with them and introduced them to the Lord that one day somebody is going to do something great and that could be a result of your faithfulness now. And we've got to cling to stuff like that because we get so wrapped up in ourselves, our lives, our stories, our histories that a lot of times we feel like, well, when it's too far gone, it's like, I'm just not even going to try anymore. I'm just not going to worry about it anymore. You have to realize that you have people who are coming after you that can still serve and do amazing things in the name of the Lord. And when you look at Rahab, her one decision in that moment changed the course of history forever. David is a king that all of history talks about. Not just Christianity, all of world history talks about King David. They're still fighting over the spot where the temple was built that he, it was his idea Like you're looking at the war in the Middle East right now, like that temple being built was David's idea. Like it's still affecting our world today, what Rahab did, whether you're a believer or not. That's how significant the decision was. Guys, you can never be afraid to start doing what's right. Never be afraid to make the decision. Never be afraid to make the change. Even if you feel insignificant, invisible, untalented, unworthy, whatever it may be, if you got too much baggage, doesn't matter. If God can use a prostitute and two unnamed people to bring about his will, he can use us. Amen. And he can use our descendants. Point number three <clears throat> promises were made. I think a lot of times in our culture, we forget about how important promises are. You look at Joshua chapter 2, we'll skip down to verses 17 through 18, that as this conversation on this rooftop proceeded, the conversation's pretty lengthy. But before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken 
only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave the scarlet rope hanging from the window through, the, uh, through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. So as they are talking to Rahab, and Rahab is keeping them safe, you know, there, there's this exchange going on. All right, you've saved our lives. You've saved our lives. Because you saved our lives, we will save you. We will spare you when we come in to take this city. And that's really important. It's a really important moment because when you, when you go back and you read the story and you understand that God had commanded for everything inside of Jericho to be destroyed, men, women, children, animals, everything. The only thing that was not going to be destroyed were articles that were going to be gathered together for the, for the tabernacle and the use of the Lord. And so these spies in this moment, they make this covenant, this oath, this promise with Rahab and her family. You know, like, look, we'll, we'll, we'll protect you. We'll spare you. But you have to live by your end. You have to do your part. And if you do your part, we'll do our part. And Rahab was willing to do it. <clears throat> and we live in a culture and we live in a time where we have really forgotten what it means to keep our word, to honor our promises. And guys, I cannot say enough, especially for parents with kids, it's so important for us to make sure that people can trust us. As a Christian, as a believer in Christ, it is so important for people to be able to trust and believe what you say. And if you say things, especially to your kids, and then you don't keep what you say, you don't honor that word, or grandkids, or family members, or spouses, or anybody for that matter, if you don't keep your word and they, they can't trust you, when it comes time to speak about things of the Lord, why in the world would they believe you about that if they can't trust you to just do practical, realistic things now? And we as, we as a culture have said, well, you know, it's just, I'm sorry. <clears throat> it's just inconvenient. I'm just not going to be able to do that. <clears throat> and, and now the thing is, is if you don't get it in writing, it means nothing. I can't tell you how many times throughout a day that I have to make arrangements with people and do stuff. And I purposefully do it through email and texting and things like that so that I have written proof of you said this and that way you can hold them accountable to it because people just lie and throw it off as being unimportant now. But I want you to understand today that when you look at what it means to keep your word, to keep your promise, to be truthful, God expects us to do that. It is a very real expectation in our life. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, <clears throat> Solomon writes that when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. If you make a promise... Now, this, this passage references in making promises to the Lord, but if you read other passages of Scripture, talk, you, can, you can apply this to making a promise or an oath or saying anything to anyone that if you don't keep it, you're a fool. Keep all the promises you make to Him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. And you need to take that to heart today. That's something that as believers and as people that... 
that we can take that with us today and understand it's better for you just not to say anything. If you can't keep, don't commit. Don't commit. Don't make a promise. Don't say something that you can't keep. And you don't have to give an answer right away. You can always just say, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Let me consider it. Because you need to understand that when you commit yourself to something, that it is so important for us as believers who represent God on this earth that we do what we say we're going to do. Number verse 6. Don't let your mouth make you sin. And there's the writing on the wall. That whenever we say something that we're going to do, and then we don't do it, we don't keep it, it is a sin. And we can say, oh, it was wrong, or it was unfortunate, or yeah, I shouldn't have done that, I feel bad about it. Like, no, it's sinful to do that. It is sin. That's something that we need to go to God and we ask for forgiveness for. We repent of that because it's sinful to do it. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. It's not a mistake. You need to be very careful about the things that we say, the things that we do. To, if we need to say, I'm not ready to make a commitment on that. And just say, I'm not ready to make a commitment on it. I'm not ready to say yes or no. And I promise you, the people in your life might get annoyed about it at the time, but they will respect you so much more in the long run if you will make them wait to give them an honest answer and if you keep your word. That would make God angry and he might wipe out everything you have achieved. We can never neglect the promises that we make. You may say, well, why is this such a big deal? Why, why is it such a big deal that, that, we, that we keep our word, we keep our promises, that we do this? Well, we are the visible, to, to the best of our ability, we are the visible representation of Christ in this world. We are to mimic Christ. We are to, to be God in, in some sense to the people around us that we show them who God is through, through love and honesty and obeying His commands. That we are a visible image for them, that they can model. Your children should be able to look at you and model their lives after you and in essence serve Christ. Your co-workers, family members, that's the way that it should be. And if you look at Psalm chapter 89 verses 34 through 35, the author, as he's writing this, this is, this is inspiration from the Lord and the Lord is reminding the author of the promises that he has made. And so as the psalmist is writing it, he's kind of writing it as if God is writing this. And so when he says uh, in verse, uh, sorry, in verse 34, it says, No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word that I said. I have sworn an oath to David, and in my holiness I cannot lie. So, so you look at our God, which last week we went through this whole list of characteristics and qualities that God has. And we talked about how really the only thing that God lacks is uh, um, limits. Like he has no limits. But yet God was willing to subject himself to, to the limitations of the flesh in Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. And even in this moment, God has made an oath to David and, and he's limiting himself. He's subjecting himself to honoring his oath, his promise to David and making sure that he's going to keep it because he's holy. And because he's holy, he cannot lie because lying is sinful. 
And if God is subjecting himself to that expectation, why would we be dumb enough to think that God would not hold us to the same expectation? That if God is saying, no, I will not break what I've promised because I'm holy and I cannot sin, and to think that we could get away with it scot-free, it's, it's the craziest thing. One of the craziest things I can think of as believers. That we could just say something and then not follow through with it, and God's not going to hold us accountable. Because if God is holding himself to that expectation, you can rest assured he's going to hold us to it. And so as we talk about what's going on behind the scenes in the story, <coughs> it's really important to remember the promises. The promises that are being made behind the scenes is going to affect the nation of Israel. It's going to affect the world. It's going to affect salvation. Everything that you read about in this passage with Rahab making this decision and helping these spies and doing this, it's still affecting our world today like in literal history with the war that's being fought right now as we speak, that played an impact. Her great-great-grandchild thought, God, I want to I build you a permanent temple in Jerusalem. And because of that, it's still being fought over today. It very much affects everything. You may not feel important. You may not feel talented or worthy or Whatever it may be, God can still use you. God wants to use you. God, it talks about the least of these in the New Testament constantly. And to understand that, man, God is always working and moving. He's not just everywhere, but he's in everything. We need to remember that, that God is always working and moving. In your life right now, you may not be able to feel God in this moment or in your life over the past few days or weeks or months, but rest assured and have faith that God has been working and moving and that he will continue to do so. That even if you're living in sin and you may have baggage and junk in your life that you don't want there, you can rest assured that God's been working and moving because his desire is to bring you back to himself. And so whether it's through repentance or whether it's through submission or whether it's through stepping out on faith and trusting in him, know that God has been working and moving and that he still will be. We just have to have our eyes and ears open to be looking for what he's doing behind the scenes so that we can be on board with it. Because Rahab felt it, she saw it, and she was willing to act on it. And the question is, is whether or not we will be willing to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for just being in all this stuff and doing all these amazing things. And Lord, if we just can't see what's going on right now with, with our world and how you're working and moving and how the, this story literally affects our world today, our political and physical world, like it's still playing into it today. God, you are amazing. You are in everything. You are working and moving in everything, whether we can see it or not. So God, I pray that you would help us to open up our eyes and our ears, open up our hearts, help us to submit, help us to be willing to seek your face in everything so that we can serve you. We love you. We thank you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.